152 yards should be just a nice, comfortable nine iron for him. They're going to go nuts when he hits this thing. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome in, golf fans. This is the Preferred Lines Podcast. I'm thrilled to have you here. My name is Joe Idoni at Tour Picks on Twitter. I have an incredible and lengthy show tonight lined up to cover a complete comprehensive look of the Open Championship, Royal Liverpool. I've got a course expert. I've got a betting expert. We're going to get totally into it, and I cannot wait. I'm thrilled to cover the last major of the season. If you're new to the show, if you're an old friend, say hello in the comments. I love to see you here. And we're running a special promotion this week that I must mention. But first, we are brought to you in part by the Fantasy Golf Pod. You see that little tag on the top? Make sure that you go follow them. They have all of your DFS content for the week covered. They've already got the early look show. The Golf Guys program with Josh, with Chad, with Eric will be out later this week. They will cover ownership. They have got you completely covered from a DFS side of things at Fantasy Golf Pod on Twitter. Give them a shout. Give them a follow. Tell them you came over from Preferred Lines. But me, we're going to talk the betting board. We're going to talk course preview. But before we do that, any way that you can possibly do to support the show would be extremely appreciated and grateful by someone like myself. Uh, merch is up at preferredlinesgolf.com, but I wanted a way to sort of give back. And the easiest thing that I could think of, give the hard-earned audience some cold, hard cash. I can. You got Venmo, you got PayPal, you got Zelle. I'm going to find a way to pay you. Here's how you enter the contest. Uh, two people are going to receive $100 each right into their account. I'm going to pick a third person from this live show that I'm going to send sort of a swag and a merch bundle to because I appreciate all of you guys so much. Here's how you enter. If you are watching this on Twitter right now, go on over to YouTube and to the Preferred Lines page. You have to be subscribed to that in order to win the second way that you are going to enter that once you subscribe is make sure to leave me a comment be like wesley here be like my guy sam who was on the show a couple of weeks be like uh am padded whatever it is leave your name leave a nice comment say something good about the show or something negative about the show whatever you feel that your gut wants to put out there into the interwebs i'm happy to sort of receive that uh and open for criticism but make sure to put a way to contact you whether that's your twitter handle I need to know how to contact you. I need to know what you think of the show. And I need to make sure that you are subscribed to the channel in order to enter to win. Um, Brian says the shirts are comfy for anyone on the fence. Thank you, Brian. I made sure, you know, I'm kind of in the a little bit of the I've dabbled in the apparel industry. So I make sure that I don't get you a cheap t-shirt. Alex says Woodland Week. I'm not so sure about that. Ted wants a winner. Ted, I got you. I have a complete dissertation coming up later in the show of who is going to win the Open Championship. And Ted's been with me a while. It may not be a huge surprise to you. Uh, but without any further ado, let's get into the course this week. So I'm starting off the show. I've got an expert, my good friend, PGA Tout, who's going to join me here in a couple of seconds to talk through the course. I'm happy that you guys are here. I hope that you enjoy this segment. We dive really deep into some particular aspects of the course. I've got video flyovers. If you're joining us on the YouTube side of things, I hope that you enjoy. Talk to you.
Okay, joining me now to talk all things Royal Liverpool and the golf course at Hoy Lake uh, is a kind and intelligent man hailing from the Northeast of America. Uh, you know him for writing the best course previews in the game. He's a returning guest to Preferred Lines. I always love to talk to my dude anytime I need a little intel on the course. What's up? How are you this evening? Mr. John Hasselbauer at PGA Tout on Twitter. Great to have you here. Great to be here, Joe. Thanks for having me. Very pumped for the last major of the year. I studied abroad in London, England, so I'm basic. It's basically a home game for me in Hoylake this week. Oh, baby. Well, talk to me a little bit about the 1895 Harry Colt Link style design course that we have this week at Royal Liverpool. Yeah, I think Cliff notes of the like where I like to start is just like obviously we're at an open. This is Links. So what makes this similar and different from other links courses on the Rota. I think first of all, it's less probably less familiar to the field because we've only seen it twice since 1967, uh, 2006 when Tiger won 2014, when Rory won. So um, hard to like pull any like course profile stuff out from the winners alone when it's like, yeah, the best player in the field won the last two times uh, beyond like, is this just a course where you have to be great to win at? And I would say no. Um, it's not, but it's a major and it's the type of course where the cream should rise to the top and you're going to have to be good in all facets of your game. I actually think what makes it distinct from other, uh, links courses is that there's less, a buzzword that you don't hear this week is like creativity. And that's something at Augusta where you're talking about hitting off of these undulated fairways, having to work it in both directions. I don't really see that in this course and I haven't really seen People bring that up as much, but I almost think like curvature in the ball and working it in different directions is actually a negative. Adding spin when you're playing in wins, like this is the type of course where I want to see a dead straight bullet. Um, you know, and, and we saw Rory do that last week at the Scottish when when you need to flight a ball below the wind. Like, do you have that shot? Um, so I think that's something I'm looking for this week is just like, can you hit it on a string? Like, yes, you need to do some ball flighting, but really, like, who's hitting that long and straight ball? And then around the greens, it's, again, it's nothing crazy. Uh, it's what you would expect with Lynx Golf. You're not really hitting until, like, tabletop elevated greens, so you can run it up there. Uh, Phil Mickelson talked about that a little bit um, in his interviews before this uh, tournament in the past, that, like, if you land it short, you're not going to get any surprise hops left or right. Um, so, you know, I, I think you'll see some Texas wedges around these greens. Three putt avoidance always important at, uh, you know, the open championship where you're playing on large greens, where they put the pin locations will ultimately dictate. Uh, I believe how far under par these guys can go because they can really get um, treacherous with some of these pin locations and put them in spots where you're just going to aim for the middle of the green and try to two putt from 30 feet. Uh, but I think if, uh, if, if we get any wind, they'll be pretty, a little bit more generous with the pin locations, make them a little bit more accessible so that it's not complete carnage. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that um, you nailed a couple points there. It's relatively flat, which is the first thing that stuck out to me, which 
can be treacherous when you talk any sort of links course. Now, at this point on Monday evening, uh, the wind, at least Thursday and Friday, doesn't look like it's going to play a huge factor in terms of difficulty. I think that they also made some efforts since the Roar year to toughen this place up a little bit. They shifted a few of the greens. They added a new 17th hole, which we'll talk about. They adjusted the 10th hole now from a par 5 to a par 4. So this course is now playing as a par 71, just under 7,400 yards. The greens you mentioned are are big. And sometimes that's different in a link style course than it is on like a typical Parklands PGA style course when you look at green size in that it really, I think, puts an increased emphasis on proximity because on these flat, slow greens, those speeds that are unusual and this sort of fescue blend of four or five different hybrids of grass, um, it's difficult. You're like, you, you don't want a 90 foot putt whatsoever. Like you will see those three puts inside of five feet is relatively difficult as well. Um, how do you see, like, how important is the wind in terms of how difficulty this plays and what other defenses may this course present to players? Yeah, the, the course is definitely designed for the wind to impact it and be the challenge of the course. If you look at any overheads or any, even if you look at anything on the ground level, you can see the, the coast. It's right there. There's no mounds or trees. Even at the Scottish last week, you could see a lot of trees. Um, and that was fairly close to the coastline. And, and even that was like severely impacted by wind. You could see in the final round, at least not, not in the beginning of the tournament, but by the end of the tournament, definitely impacted by wind. So I think, obviously, I'm paying attention to wind finder and everybody should. But yeah. even if, it, if you're seeing like five to 10 mile an hour winds, which is typically a very negligible amount that you wouldn't even acknowledge, that's going to have an effect here. And I think you're going to see, you need a good caddy. You need someone who's going to give you the math and, and good numbers here because you're doing a, a lot of math. It's not necessarily like elevation change, but it's air density and uh, carry distance. And there's sub, like you mentioned, oversized greens. There's parts of these greens that you can and can't miss. There's runoffs to the left and the right that you yeah. can and can't miss. So I actually like these anecdotal things, but like experienced links golf caddies, Anybody who's familiar with the terrain, it, it's hard to show up here with limited links experience, having never played an open, never really like experiencing this atmosphere and and doing well in a course like this. So I think it just puts in the, the element of wind puts that much more emphasis on course history or links history, let's call it, and just links golf experience. Yeah, and, and the other sort of unique element to this course, and I'm going to bring up a video here, um, just kind of the overhead that they have. And this is the third hole if you're with us on YouTube. So the unique portion of this... little bit on this so we can talk over it but you have this internal out of bounds feature right that obviously comes in so close to the fairway and i think on a hole like this typically if a player lays back i don't know that driver off the tee is the play here and i think this is a situation for a lot of holes out here and tell me if i'm wrong but if you want to hit something 220 to 260 yards off the tee and really take this trouble out of play and what is also unique about this out of bounds feature is not only does it come into play on the drive it is basically out of bounds all the way up to green side so you can miss this hole you know maybe eight to ten yards right of the green and normally on most courses be in a spot with a relatively pedestrian up and down and here you're basically reloading from the center of the fairway now can players challenge this corner and go right over this 
yeah, but I think this is where the conditions are really going to dictate thing. And I go back to sort of the Tiger year when it was so firm and, and Patrick Harrington made some comments about how it was so slick you could barely stick a club on the ground. If this place can really firm up, you aren't going to be able to hole a drive if you can see my mouse here, if you cut this corner and keep it in the fairway, which I think brings into players who are able to hit that two iron, that low sting or a three iron off the tee consistently and still get that distance out of it to 240, 250 yards, utilize the role. But I think this is one of the more important things that I will be paying close attention to as the week progresses and just hearing players comments on how fast this course is running out in the fairways. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great point. And I think the open might be the only tournament each year where I don't fill out my betting card on Monday, because like you said, the conditions will dictate how this course plays and what type of player you want on here. If it's soft, it's going to be more drivers and guys who hit their driver accurately are going to have a distinct advantage. If it's firm, like it was in the tiger year and you can just pound those driving irons, use the ground and let it run out then that actually opens it up to a lot more players who can contend here. Um, and I actually think you'll get more randomness on a firm course, whereas the cream should rise to the top more on a, on a softer course. Okay, that's an interesting take. So I actually watched, um, this, was a, this was probably a few months ago, but I'm a big fan of my boy Rick Shields on Twitter. And he does this thing where he'll go and try to break part courses. And he played this hole, and I'll never forget it because he had a shot and he came in just from sort of the left rough. But he hit an approach shot into this green. And if you can kind of see where my mouse is here, it basically bounced from here over <laughs> into this OB line. He wasn't sure if it was out of bounds, so he dropped. He hit another one. He did the same thing. He hit a third one, and it went OB again. And, like, he ended up finding his first ball, like, maybe a half yard inside the line. But I guess my point being is you could potentially see someone make massive numbers out here as they try to hit two or three or four shots into these greens. If a pin is tucked on this right side and you have this embankment that is going to kick balls toward that line, this isn't just a situation on this hole. Um, this comes into play a number of times. So I think restraint, I think having a good caddy that understands where to miss shots is going to be important. And I think a lot of people are of the mindset that the scoring is going to be relatively low if the wind is down. I think they've made some sneaky efforts to toughen this place up, and I wouldn't be surprised without a ton of rain in the forecast if this place continues to get harder as the week progresses. And they're able to, by moving, shifting the par down, by adding a little bit of yardage, by adding a new tricky par three hole, they're able to get somewhere in the 10 to 15 under par range, I think is ideally what they're hoping for. But, but the RNA doesn't have like, they don't have that in mind of a necessarily a scoring goal like some of the other tournaments that we see. Yeah, I, I'm totally with you on, on 10 to 14. That's the range that I think the winner will be. We still have seven par fours over 450 and two 600-yard par fives. The firmness of, of the fairways, how much rollout you get and the direction of the wind and how severe it is, is going to dynamically change the course yardage. Some days this could play like a 7,600 yard golf course and yeah. some it could play like a 72. Um, and as you said, if it bakes out over the course of the week, which we, I think we would expect that it would, it might be a little soft to begin. I know it rained today on Monday lightly, not, nothing crazy, but just the fact that it was a little overcast. We saw what just overcast and no rain um, did with the marine layer to the US Open at LACC where we were waiting for it to firm up 
and the sun just never came out. I feel like that could be the sort of overcast conditions that we see at least early on. I'm, I'm not seeing a ton of just like blue skies and, and sunshine here. And, and I think the, the weather is about 60s this week. Right. So I would err on the side of a, of a soft course, at least to start. And then we in any tournament, it'll firm up as, as the week goes on. They won't water, water it, I'm sure, um, to try to firm it up a little bit more. But I think with a softer course, I would expect a little bit more forced drivers, a little bit more difficulty off the tee where you can't really bail out and rely on a two iron on every single hole. Um, but the trade-off all week is going to be if you get aggressive off the tee, you'll have an easier chance of scoring opportunities on your second shot. And if you take a conservative shot off the tee, you're going to have a lot of these forced 200, 200 yard approaches. And that's, that's not a comfortable thing in a major with any sort of win. So that's, that's really, again, I think it goes back to the preparation, the strategy and, and the caddy experience for you to put a game plan together of what you're going to do on each, each hole, feel confident in it and execute that game plan. Absolutely. This is another hole that I want to point out. So this is the seventh hole that did some reworking and you can see here, this strategy of sort of laying back in this region, you take the bunkers out of play, you get increased width of the fairway. So there's more room to miss it. This fescue is no joke. It's knee high. It's waist high in some spots. These pop bunkers are 60 degree out sideways in most cases. If you miss those, those are half to a full shot penalty. And here's another example of kind of how they made this course a little bit more difficult. So in my opinion, before in 2004 and 2014, you could lay it back here. And basically what they did is this approach coming in, excuse the volume again, but was basically they had this green over here. So there was really no trouble and you could run something up. They've shifted this green really left, which makes the incoming approach shot tougher. It brings these bunkers into play. It brings the runoffs into them into play and makes it so you don't necessarily want to lay back so far that you have a 200 yard approach shot because you can no longer really just easily run it up there to the back of the green. So some subtle things like that, that I think that they've done to really sort of um, make it a bit more of a challenge and a test for the professional golfers is, you know, they had that strange gap of 50 years where they didn't have a tournament here. They hosted a tournament here in the 1800s in open championships. So it's, it, it, there's a lot of meaning to the people at these courses. There's a lot of meaning within the RNA and the open rota and significance at this venue in particular. Yeah, and a hole like that, I think, is a great example of, of why I don't think it's going to be such a, a birdie fest like people might be saying with with uh, you know the course not having a lot of obvious hazards and all of that compared to past opens. Uh, you've got the like, let's say the wind is coming from left to right on this hole, and right. the and the pin is on the left side next to those bunkers. Nobody's going to even attempt to come within thirty feet of that of that pin. Mm -hmm. So if they if scoring gets out of control, they could easily just by the way they set up these pins say nobody's going to birdie this hole. I don't think they should do that. I think that would be a diabol diabolical decision. Um, but you could also get these wave advantages too, where if you see a pin location and the wind direction changes in the middle of the day, that might be something to keep an eye on for like a showdown or uh, you know a day of matchup bet. I don't think you can bet different ways of matchups, but um, things like that where that's how the course was designed. We have to keep that in mind that the, these greens are set up knowing the way that the wind typically blows and they can move the pins around to make what looks like an easy hole become much more difficult to score on. 
Yeah, and that's what they did here with the 10th hole. They turned this into a par four. They knocked about 20 yards off of it. So it's a 507-yard par four now, um, aptly named far. But the interesting thing that often happens is when they have these par fives that they turn into par fours, the greens were not made with the intention of it being played as a par four. This is a par five green, meaning that it's small, meaning that if you were to go for this in two, it's an extremely challenging green to hit. It's made with the intention of players hitting 100 to 120 yard shots into this green, not 230 yard shots into the screen. And it's another one that I think you drive it down here and this will kind of showcase these mounds that come into play, which should you get behind them turns this into basically maybe the only blind semi blind shot on the course. And like I mentioned, it's coming into a green that was originally designed to play as a par five, which is going to be a very difficult hole. You're not going to see a lot of Eagle or birdie ops. All of a sudden, now this is a par four, and I think this is an option where this hole ends up playing, um, depending on the wind, well over par for the week, almost an impossible pop bunker here. So they did make these little subtle changes. The other one that I really wanted to point out um, and showcase sort of is this brand new short little 17th that I think can play as little as 100 yards. We've seen some great, really short par threes in recent major championships. I think this is another example of it. So it has this sort of infinity landscape behind it where you can't see anything behind the green because it's a little bit elevated. You just have the shore and it makes it very difficult to judge your yardages and second guess, especially when you're coming in at a very thin landing zone where everything tends to run from back to front and into these difficult bunkers. When you have nothing behind the hole, visually it just sort of makes it a little bit more of an intimidating shot and even though this plays at 136 yards i would be very surprised if it's one that we see a lot of genuine birdie opportunities come from yeah absolutely and you can see on this visual it's it's right on the coast this is one of the closest holes that comes to the coast if you're hitting a wedge um it's just going to be that much more wind affected, you know, with 17 at Sawgrass, that's always wind affected. And that has that sort of stadium uh, impact on it. This is just open elements coming right at you. Um, this is a hole where if you put the pin on the back, people could put a crazy number up. If they just mm -hmm. run off the back and run all the way off that infinity green, play a little bit more conservative. If they put it on the front, you're hitting like gap wedge with a ton of spin that could roll back. If you don't control your spin well enough, and wind plays into that if it's downwind or, or into the wind. So I, I love a tough par three yeah. to, to close out the tournament. Obviously, Sawgrass does a great job of that, and everybody loves the 17th at Sawgrass. And this has a really uh, distinct impact on how I'm actually putting my betting card together is who has like the intestinal fortitude to hit these tough shots to close out a tournament because this is not – a layup uh hit less than driver on a par four and hit for the middle of the green like we saw a little bit at L at lacc for example yeah. this is like you've got to hit a really tough shot there and a two phenomenal shots um to give yourself a birdie look on on 18. Yeah, and here's 18. I'm going to show, I'm going to bring it up now, sort of on the side here, but another uh, par five that's going to close out roughly over 600 yards. Now, the shot into the green, should you land in the fairway, is relatively enticing. But what I enjoy about this and what maybe the last two major championships lacked was 
the impact of a stiff penalty with the pressures on on 18, especially at LACC with that drive that Wyndham Clark had. So this is that internal out of bounds that will run up the entire hole, which is just off the fairway, which if you want to take on this corner is going to come heavily into play. So it's going to demand that you hit one of your better tee shots of the day on the very last hole to win the tournament. And then a pretty inviting shot into the green. Should you do so, you obviously have the grandstands, um, which you would get relief from, but, the Open Championship, they don't have TIO relief like we're used to on the PGA Tour. They have a designated drop area where all shots are going to go to the same spot. And typically in years past, they've done a pretty good job of making that a very hard shot to kind of dissuade people of you know, taking advantage and utilizing that rule like we see that drives us nuts sometimes. So I would doubt that if you hit it far and into this, that they give you like an easy up and down chip for birdie. They're definitely going to challenge you should you hit a shot that far offline to bring these grandstands into play here. Yeah, I'm glad they're doing that because it's so in play to to hit something a little bit right and go out of bounds on a layup. So I think naturally... Mm -hmm if you're deciding between like nuking a three wood 280 behind the green into the TIO or laying up to your number at like a hundred, most will, would take the former uh, unless there's a really drastic penalty for where they're maybe they're short siding you behind like a bunker or something. But even then, if, if it's the last hole of the tournament um, actually kind of reminds me, although this, I think this is a four, but the last hole at, um, um, East Lake is mm-hmm. kind of like that, where you have a, a really risky. Is that a five? I think it it's is a five. five. Yeah, yeah. You have you have a long iron, and we saw Rory kind of just mashed it into the back grandstand. Yeah, and uh, and I was on Sungjae that week, and, and he kind of played a little bit more conservatively, tried to hit it to the exact number, and got short in the bunker. And Rory was obviously significantly better off. He ended up winning outright and, and the shadow leaderboard. But that's just an example of like there was no penalty on the PGA tour for the TIO relief. And here you might have to think, think twice before just mashing it behind the grid. You do such a great job of analyzing a course and we can all do this and look at it and pull some numbers together from years past, but then you convert that into like what you expect in terms of the traits of a player that will lead to success. So like, what are your two or three, like most important things in terms of the fit of the course to align with what a player's skill set is this week? Yeah, I think total driving this week. So guys who are above average in driving distance and driving accuracy, I think this is the type of layout where if, if your driver is like your comfort club, the strength of your bag, the club that you feel very comfortable going to, you don't really even have to worry about hitting these draws and fades. Like I was saying in the beginning, you just have to hit an accurate drive and know where you can't miss because there's not a lot of holes here where it's like OB left and OB right. Like you might see on like a Florida course with a ton yep. of water. It's really like, okay, I can't go right on this. This also I'll hit my can't go right shot. And there's a lot of guys who are really good, who play really well in majors who have that distinction. Um, so I'm looking for those types of guys. And then, um, lag putting, uh, putting on large, slow greens is something that you can get a little bit more data on from the PGA tour. You know, we're playing links golf. So there's a lot of like approximations we're making. There's a lot of leaps here. Um, 
there's a there's a blind spot for me honestly with a lot of the european guys who i don't track yes. every week but um you know you look at link's success on like the alfred dunhill is a, a rotating course where you're just playing a bunch of links golf not necessarily tied to one course so i think that's where I, I typically look when trying to gauge the fit from the european guys i don't know as well obviously the scottish um obviously past results at the open i think saint andrews is not a, not a good comp but um from a putting standpoint you will get similar like long putts on slow green so i think short game referencing that from last year at the very least is still going to be applicable here um but yeah accurate driving not not just like I, I think that's an important distinction to make too like if you gain strokes off the tee at like a harbor town i don't necessarily think that's what you're getting into here harbor town is like you're hitting like a five iron off the tee to Many 200 times, yards yeah. and then you have like 150 in and every shot is like 150 or shorter there's a lot of length to this course it's basically a 7400 yard par 71 that's that's not short by by any stretch of the imagination and if the wind's blowing into you it's much longer than that so i think distance I, i'm personally i don't think that's like the way everybody's evaluating this course but i think there's more importance to distance um this week than maybe most uh open championships there have been okay so you've given me the traits to success i'm about to talk winners in the odds board with wes here in just a minute but uh give me your one name if i get pressured you for one guy to to win this week well i, I think you'll be very happy to hear um your guy i i never am on the train um yes. but i have and sometimes I try to talk myself out of out of betting him, but it's Brooks. I can't think of I can bring up like ten reasons why I love this fit for Brooks. Uh, we talked about the fortitude of a tough closing stretch. Who's going to be able to step up and not be intimidated by that? Hits a very straight, not just a drive. His irons don't move; they're just on a line, <laughs> piercing. He's got the caddy Ricky Elliott from this neck of the woods. He's had. Uh, what is it? Four top tens over the last six years at the open um, looks healthy. Even if he wasn't healthy, it's the flattest course we've ever seen at an open. Like this is not going to set him back. And I know that's not really a concern for him anymore, but I'm not concerned about the knee whatsoever. And I think this is the first time I'm saying that uh, in the last like two years for Brooks at a major, obviously I was wrong to feel that way before uh, the masters and the PGA, but yeah, uh, it's not a taxing walk by any means. Um, and he's just he's just playing well and you just sort of expect Brooks to be in it. Um, I've heard some talk of like he got his major, so he's not going to be that motivated. Of course, he's going to be motivated. It's a major. He wants to get that career slam. He doesn't want Rory matching his five majors to lead like the modern player right now. He wants to extend that, uh, get that separation. He doesn't know how long he's going to be healthy and in his prime when the next injury is going to come. So. He wants to capitalize while he's still in his prime. And that number, you tweeted about this too. How is it going in the other direction? I don't understand. I have no idea. The, <laughs> like the people believing that, look, I'm. you can't say a bad thing about Scotty or Rory, but getting Rooks, Brooks at three times the betting price of either one of those guys in a major with the form, with the fit, with the fortitude, it's unbelievable. Like I, I it's the, it's the best value bet on the board right now and i agree with you as soon as i saw the course i was texting with luke and i'm like this is brooks fit like this is it absolutely I, i'm on a 25 now and it's and that's not even on a random book that's on bet rivers like They're coming yep. i'm pretty sure it's still there 
Um, so I don't understand why it's moving in, in the other direction. I thought after he won at, at the PGA, we would just see Brooks sub yeah. 20 for the next two years in majors. And, you know, one already there. quote unquote disappointing uh, finish at, at the U.S. Open where he was just like average, not even horrible. Um, he's already fallen back to 25. So I, I feel I feel very good about a, a 25 to one Brooks. I'm not guaranteeing he's going to win, but I, I like my chances that he'll be in play come Sunday. Love to hear it, man. You knew you were going to get me on board. Um, <laughs> at PGA Tout on Twitter, give this man a follow. The course previews are still free. He is writing up and doing video content over at the lines. I appreciate you coming on here and helping me break down Royal Liverpool. Best of luck this week, man. Let's go, Brooks. Absolutely. We're on the train. All right. See you, buddy. All right, let's make some bets. Joining me now, coming from the capital of the world where you can do so, uh, and the host of the VEASAN Live show from 6 to 9 p.m. Pacific every day of the week. He does the Long Shots podcast, which will be out tomorrow. Pleasure to finally land this guy on Preferred Lines. Welcome in, Wes Reynolds. How are you, sir? Joe, great to be with you, man. Thanks for inviting me. I'm super excited to talk, man, and go through some guys. Uh, early leans, I just sort of did a segment on the course, but how much sort of have you dove into it yet? And is there a particular skill set that you think is you're more inclined to gravitate towards on the betting board? Yeah, I'm about halfway through the card. I'll finish that up tonight and then into Tuesday morning. But really with the Open Championship, Joe, as you well know, and probably your regular viewers and listeners know, this is arguably the hardest event to, if you do any kind of modeling or any type of, uh, you know, statistical analysis, whatever you want to call it. This is very tough to do because, number one, if you look at the recency bias, you know, because usually you're going 24 rounds, last 24 rounds or last 36 rounds. So what have they played recently? They've played the Travelers Championship in Hartford and the John Deere Classic and the Rocket Mortgage. That's not exactly ideal what you would call prep or a facsimile of what you're going to see here at Royal Liverpool this week for True Links Golf. So you've got to take that into context when you're modeling. But in terms of what I did, there are always some things I just want to look at to give like an indicator. It may push me to a side, but it doesn't necessarily make me a slave to a model. But you got to look at approach. And I think you really got to look at proximity or approach from 175 to 200, 200 to 225, because that's where most of the iron shots are going to be. Because a lot of guys, if you look at what happened at Royal Liverpool in 2014, when Roy McElroy won this, he didn't hardly use driver. Tiger Woods didn't do it, no six either. I think he pretty much used two iron the whole time. But they made this course a little longer, so it's, you know, in the high 7,300 range. But with the winds blowing, you're going to have longer iron shots. This isn't just going to be driver, wedge, pitch, and putt. So you have to look at it at that context. So I looked at that. I looked a little bit. Uh, I kind of did an amalgamation of, like, strokes gained off the tee, fairways gained i did a little distance and accuracy i don't think distance is a requirement but i don't think it's ever a hindrance especially in, in high wind conditions as we saw last week at scottish when you had two big hitters down the stretch that were one two with rory and rob and bobby mack so you know i i took that into consideration i took a little bit around the green a little bit of bunker play because there's obviously a lot of bunkers not only around the greens but in the fairways here at royal liverpool so i took that into consideration 
par four scoring 450 to 500 yards. I believe seven of the 11 par fours are of that length on this track. So I think you wanted to look at that. And then of the two of the three par fours, because remember 10 got converted to a par four. I'm sure you've gone over that. So the two on the back nine holes, 15 and 18 are over 600 yards. So I think you could look at for context, 600 to 650 par five scoring or par fives gain, however you title it, depending on what software you use. But that's what I did. But I'm combining a little bit of modeling just for like some context, kind of with just going with the gut. I think you got to go with your gut a little bit. I think you got to look at the market a little bit, seeing if you're getting a tell from there. So there's a lot of ways to kind of skin the cat to try to handicap this thing and find a winner. Absolutely. I'm always a big proponent and love to dive into the stats, but going with your gut is sort of been my general style, Wes. A couple of trends that I was paying attention to, and obviously the variable and the thing that we can't really predict is the weather. And this course is completely flat and exposed on the coastline, and that could totally wreak havoc or that could lay down and make this mm-hmm. thing very scorable. But I want to see open championship history. And I know that Colin Morikawa sort of bucked that trend, but of 10 of the last 11 winners, um, you know, they've had an average finish position that has been high up there and they've had plenty of notches under the belt in terms of opportunities to play the open championship. And the other thing is like a little more willingness and you kind of nailed it in embracing some of the variability that we see in winners here. Now, while we aren't seeing these crazy winners come from all over the place, if you rule out Tiger since 2000, only three times has a player inside the top five OWGR won this thing. Mm -hmm. And the average winning uh, player has been an average rank of 25th. So it leads you to believe that there could be some value a little more further down the odds board unlike we see it maybe a U.S. Open or a PGA Championship in recent years who have really stiffened the test and started to reward some of the cream at the top. Yeah, absolutely right. I think you want to look kind of in that OWGR top 40 a little bit. And, you know, I do think experience matters, but we're kind of at that crossroads, I think, in handicapping the Open Championship because I think it was seven of the last 12 have been 30 or older. So you get experienced guys. And and part of that was when Clark won this uh, several years ago in Mickelson and they won in their yeah. 40s. That obviously raises the average. And then Morikawa brings it down when it is a debutant a couple of years ago at Royal St. George's. So it's a little bit, you know, two kind of like crossing together, two trends where it's like, okay, experience versus the fact that you have so much talent out here and young talent that's winning right away, like Morikawa, like Scheffler, et cetera, et cetera. And they're kind of clashing a little bit, but yeah, you want quality players. I know we all want to hit those, those bombs. And sure, certainly there's going to be, as we get into later, there's going to be some long shots that I think are attractive that maybe you can combine on an outright or like top twenties, top 30, top 40 type markets. But typically it's class players win here. I know everybody remembers Ben Curtis Yeah, coming out of nowhere and thinking there's going to be a Ben Curtis every year when most years there's not, even when Todd Hamilton won he was in form and had won earlier in the season. So that's something you got to keep in mind, I think. Uh, So we all want to hit the bombs, but, you know, there's guys in those mid-range. There's a reason why they win this thing. I'll never forget Ben Curtis, man. I don't know if you could see over there is a Kent State University flag. Mm -hmm. That's my alma mater. And Ben was actually worse. 
Ben worked in the pro shop and was my boss at the course for a little while. So it was really cool. Really cool story. It was big news around mm-hmm. Kent, Ohio. But let's bring up the Osborne West. So I'm going to break this into kind of basically three ranges, like a top of the board, a middle, and then we'll sort of talk through some long shots. But at the top, obviously coming fresh off a of victory at the Scottish Open is Rory McIlroy. Now at 7-1 to one is the best price available here. Uh, Scotty Scheffler at plus 750. There were some bigger numbers this morning, but it looks like he's taken some action. And then you get John Rom and Cam Smith in the teens, 13 and 18 to 1. Brooks is 22, and I've even seen that drifting at toward 24, 25 at some spots. Circa had a 24 a little bit ago. Victor Hovland is at 22, and then Patrick Cantlay, Fowler, Hatton are in that 25 to 1 range. That's pretty makes up the, the big entree portion of the odds board this week. Is there anyone that you're inclined or gravitating toward or maybe a player on the opposite end that you don't like the setup for this? Well, week? nobody that I bet for an outright in the top four, even though I think you kind of, you know, if you got to have some exposure on Scotty Scheffler, top 10 plus money is still out there. That's probably the way you want to look considering he hasn't been worse than fifth in his last seven events. So no reason to think he would, he wouldn't be successful here. Rory is the rifle favorite uh, and, and he's, shortened a little bit i even saw him in the overnight at one book at like plus 525 that was maybe Ugh. too much but uh i a book that shall not be named but anywho uh <laughs> yeah he uh, he's the rifle favorite he won here in 2014 it feels like he's been playing good golf all year and he's just kind of falling short it feels like this is his time but man I would I would prefer going like top 10 or in matchups instead of just going on an outright. Cam Smith is a player I know a lot of people are liking because he did win the live event in London a couple weeks ago. I yep. worry about him keeping the ball in play, though. Me too. I really worry about that. So he might be a guy at the top I would go against in matchups. But the attractive portion, I think, is kind of that second four that you got on your screen there. Uh, look, I'm not a Brooks Kepka stan. I know a lot of golf Twitter are and and love this guy, and I don't I, I don't bet him a ton. <laughs> I, I will readily admit I don't really have the opportunity considering he's on live, but I think up at twenty five to one, you know, this guy has been, has been pretty consistent, and you know, I think at circuit went to twenty four. If it hits twenty five, I think that is a buy spot on Brooks Kepka, and he will be on my card this week. Victor Hovland already is on my card this week, just because. Take out the 19th where he was at the U.S. Open. He was actually up there in the top 10 most of the time on the weekend. Just kind of fell back, gave a couple back late on Sunday. But I think you've seen the around the green game get a lot better. It's Mm -hmm. not a strength by any stretch of the imagination, but it's gotten better. And I think it's it's historically been better in majors. And this he three top tens uh, and you know, look was right in the mix at the Open Championship last year at St Andrews was right in the mix at the PGA you know was kind of lurking even though nobody was in the mix when Rom kind of pulled away on Sunday but yeah. great finish at the Masters he's peaking I think at the right time Victor Hovland so he is somebody that made my card. And then I'm don't know if I'm going to get tempted by Patrick Cantley. I'm going to get tempted. I don't know if I'm going to play him, but he he's been he's been like the the bane to my existence in terms of the higher end guys in majors. Just has not gotten it done. He gets good finishes though, but he, he gets like those Wikipedia finishes where it's like he's yeah. never like far down. Even when he looked like he was going to miss the cut at the U.S. Open, he had a chance to be in the top ten, ended up in the top twenty, and gave a couple back on the back nine, but. He's got the game, and and I don't hold it too much against him that he missed the cut at the Scottish Open. I, I, I think we have seen that before. I think that that can be a little bit overplayed. So, 
I might wait for a little more of a drift on Patrick Cantlay. And if I get the right price, he probably makes the card. I think you are going to see that drift, honestly. And and you're right about Cantlay and Xander are, are Wikipedia Hall of Famers. But mm-hmm. I wanted to touch, you know, I'm not going to bet the top of the board. I don't really go for these guys at seven to one. They're great players. They're both in great form. Could if they, they win? Beat they, you, could they beat win. you. They beat me. They beat me. It's not a bet that I'm going to make. You talked about Hovland, and I'm very interested in Hovland because he checks two boxes for me. One is the current form. I'm not going to bet guys who aren't playing well. So you have. Homa and Spieth and Sung JM and Justin Thomas and these type of players who we know their upside and capabilities, but they're not in good form. Hovland is. The second thing is, is he has made solid progressions in terms of how he's playing in major championships through his first 11 major starts. Um, no finish better than 12th. Now in his last four starts in major championship, he's gone fourth, seventh, second, and 19th in his last four. You made the mention of the strides he's made around the green, which are notable as well. And the stats will bear that out. Lost strokes around the green in his first seven starts of 2023. His last six starts, he's actually gaining a stroke and a half around the green. So is he a great chipper now? No, but the improvement is there and he's a good enough ball striker to get that done. But the play for me, and you mentioned him and I am a Kepka guy, but let me give you a little bear with me. This may be a couple minutes, but I have a little dissertation <laughs> on Brooks this week. He checks three boxes for me, Wes. It's form number one. He's played 10 events since April, three of those major championships, seven of those live events. He's got two wins. He's got six top fives, and they've all been better than a 17th place finish. He's not the same old bash it off the tee, Brooks. He's more of a precision surgical iron player now. He's leading the live tour in greens and regulation. The approach shots that he was able to hit at the PGA Championship, I thought were second to none in terms of distance to hole versus distance to shot. The average he was missing by was like a yard. Still packs it with the driver if he needs to, but the regain confidence around the green is consistent. He's the only player in the field over the last 24 measured rounds gaining over a stroke around the green per round. And he's regained confidence with the putter. So the form is there. Now, the second portion of it, is he a good course fit? I think he's a fantastic course fit. If you're going to tell me club down iron off the tee, I love that Nike three iron that he still keeps in the bag. And he's as good of a long iron player as anyone. I'm ruling sort of out St. Andrews because I think that that was such a different wide open course. But previously, he's played some good golf in terms of open championships a sixth i believe at st george's a fourth at port rush a sixth at burkdale which mm-hmm. is also a course in in sort of england there and he made mention at lacc that he really didn't prefer the super wide fairways that weren't penal for big misses and he doesn't like blind tee shots he talked very vocally about both of that this place has neither. So he's a good course fit. He's in good form. And the last thing is function. He's the best major championship player of the entire year. He leads in strokes gained over Scotty, over Rory. He's been the best player this season. He's been the best player in majors over the last five seasons. He's probably been the best player over the last 10 seasons in major championships. If you put all the numbers together, he clicks all three of those boxes for me. And if you can get him at 3x the price of a Rory or Scotty, I right. think that he's 
like they, I give those two players the nod, but to me, he should be third on the odds board and is almost as likely to win. And I'll take the additional points there. 24, 25 to one, I feel like is a banging price. And, and Joe, I, a couple of stats that I modeled and, and I use, I use Rick game insight at Rick yeah. run good because he has a lot of the live players and a lot of the DP yeah. world tour. I think fantasy national is also great, but I typically use that more for just PGA tour events. First for strokes gained around the green, weighted strokes gained around the green, last 36 rounds, Brooks Kepka. Yeah. Second in weighted strokes gained approach. That's a very good formula here, I, right. I, I think, at the Open Championship. And, you know, and I think he's got his confidence back, too. Obviously, totally. when you're major, you're going to get it. But this is not, you know, this time, you know, last year when full swing started to come out, this is not that defeated oh. man that we saw. And and I think you know that 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 that's a a, a very good thing. So yeah, I think Brooks Kepka. If you're getting him at close to twenty five to one, that's an absolute take. And I will certainly be putting a portion of my uh, portfolio on that. Okay, so moving sort of toward this middle tier here, you've got Xander at twenty five, which we didn't mention. Hatton, Fleetwood, Lowry, kind of the crafty Euros who don't get a lot of wins but are going to be popular this week. Colin Morikawa is now 35 to 1 here, the best number available. You get DJ at 35, who has been very sneakily like if been popular are going to be the favorite, has he been popular at the tables? Yeah, from what I've seen, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, guys that I respect that put out good content and put out good work, Hmm. and I know bet this stuff. Yeah, DJ has been pretty popular from what I've seen. Yeah, I've seen it too. Speeth is there. Um, Fitzpatrick is at 50. You get it at sort of out of form fee now at 50. You get Cameron Young, who was slipping and then kind of, you know, made a charge at the John Deere for what's that's worth. But obviously second place at the Open last year in this sort of meat and potatoes middle of the range. Is there anyone that you are inclined to maybe put a bet on? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, uh, there's a couple that I have not bet yet. I haven't really bet a lot in that 25 or 30 as of yet. I understand why people like Tommy Fleetwood. I actually saw somebody had him at 15 to 1, which is shameful, by the way. I mean, like, come on. But, but, you know, and Tommy really, he didn't get going at the Scottish. He was one of my guys last week, and and I had Hatton as well, and they just – Hatton had a chance, but Fleetwood yeah. never got out of the starting gate on Sunday. Yeah. So, I had Hatton too, yeah. Yeah, that's a concern. Yeah, Terrell just melted down. Like, I don't think that that's a way to necessarily reason to skirt him necessarily this week because he could certainly play here. But Shane Lowry, in terms of like the course comps, obviously yeah. part of that is Royal Port Rush, but there's a couple courses stateside because I'm I, the ones I think that are more comparable here to Liverpool this week are. Port Rush, a little bit of Royal St. George, Troon, Carnoustie, maybe not so much as like a, like a St. Andrews or something like that, maybe a little Muirfield. But also, if you look in terms of a couple of the American courses, TPC Sawgrass, and by the way, the 17th, which is a new hole, it's not quite an island green, but TPC, the 17th in Sawgrass was kind of the inspiration. Short I think, little three, hole. yeah. Yeah, Lowry's played well there, and also at PGA National, which gets exposed to the elements. Remember, uh, remember what he probably should have won that darn thing, and Sepp Straka got hot at the end, just like he did at the John Deere a couple weeks ago, and Sepp Straka took it from him. But Lowry always plays well at PGA National, so he's one I have not bet, but I'm considering. I did bet Big Tone at sixty to one, though. Okay, I just, and I know he's out of form, but. The thing about the Open Championship, Joe, with all the trends that we go through, and I'll have that at my piece and be at, on vcin.com tomorrow morning and afternoon. Like, would, would you take account Cameron Smith last year, 
the 13 last open champions the year before, by the way, did not finish in the top 25 the year before they won. I thought that was really interesting and kind of stunning. Really interesting. Whereas Tony Finau, if you look at the Open Championship, he does kind of have some consistent form, even though he's not seemed to be right there. But he's never finished outside the top 30. He was T9 at 2018, was uh, third in 2019. But he he's starting to, I think, you know, he just hasn't peaked, I think, yet this year. Maybe he's going to be a late bloomer in the 2023 season. But I thought 60 to 1 for a course that's kind of wide open. He's a guy that's a fairly creative player, too, and will take a lot of different angles. It's just as everything firing on all cylinders, you know, because there's sometimes his off the tee game is great and then he can't make the putt. There's sometimes his approach and his putting, but he's putting for par instead of putting for birdie because he hasn't hit any fairways. So Tony Finau, I could, you know, is somebody that's on my card. I uh, Justin Rose, I think, could be a consider. Maybe uh, uh, he didn't. He didn't play very well at the Scottish though last week, but he's certainly a guy that's gone well at the Open before. Uh, one guy on there that I probably would not be on, even though he was right there last year. Cameron Young put the John Deere aside. I just have not seen him play very well. Play. I, I thought once he got with Paul Tesori, this guy was going to be off to the race. Oh, me too. That he was going to win a ton, and he just has not gotten it done. So I think the talent in the game is obviously still there. But of that kind of group that we're showing right now in the middle tier, he'd be the guy I'd fade. Yeah, so I have a couple here. Um, the interesting one, which I actually took last week, and I don't love it that much anymore, if I'm being completely honest. But um, it was Matt Fitzpatrick last week was 50 to 1. And my sort of reasoning behind it, Wes, was there was this group for the Scottish Open of like Fleetwood, Hatton, Spieth, Fitzpatrick. And they were all basically in this like 25 to 30 to 1 range for the Scottish, all four of them. Now, when I looked at the future odds for the Open Championship, Three of those guys were the same. Hatton, Fleetwood, Spieth were basically 25 to 30 to one at the open. All of a sudden, Fitzpatrick number doubled. And he, you know, he's, he's, we haven't seen a British player win in forever the Open Championship in England. He grew up in Sheffield, which is about 90 miles away. Not that that's necessarily a home game narrative. I would love mm-hmm. the form to be a little bit better. But when you look at those three players in Speeth, Hat, and Fleetwood, like who's won the biggest events in the last two years? Fitzpatrick right. has a U.S. Open. He's won an elevated event at the Heritage. He won Valderrama. He's won really big time events and he's come through on three occasions. Asians with superior fields um, and he just shows me a little bit of win equity but the one that I'm really sort of growing on as the day goes along today and I would love I haven't really heard his name much and I would love to see this number get to 35 or even 40 is Morikawa and I haven't really been on him but he was we all know he's been just basically hemorrhaging strokes with the putter all season Um, the last four though he's gained in three of the four, actually, I believe all four, he's gained strokes putting. This sort of strength is his approach play. As always, he's had five tournaments in his last 20 events in which he has gained at least five strokes on approach. Three of those have come in the last four. He hits 71% of fairways, so they have this weird internal OB, which I don't know that it's going to catch everybody, but it's going to get some guys, right? People are going to reload, and it runs all the way up to the green. He hits as much fairways as anyone in the field. The second at the Rocket Mortgage maybe can spur a little bit of confidence. So he's the one player I've sort of got my eye on and got favorited, and I'm sort of going to be checking him multiple times over the next couple of days to see what the best number available is. 
Yeah, and if you look, your the numbers bear that out. I think Joe, uh, when I was uh, running what little modeling I did, fifth on approach uh, over the last thirty six rounds in terms of weighted strokes gain, third on proximity, one seventy five to two hundred, seventh from two hundred to two twenty five, also seventh in the little driving model I did, which included SGOTT, a little bit of distance accuracy, and also fairways gain, and then in terms of the comp courses now keep in mind when i did my little comp course stuff some guys have like the last 50 rounds and some guys only have like rounds in the teens and morikawa had like total 14 rounds because the ones i used not only were liverpool which he obviously didn't play in in 2014 troon st george's where of course he won the jug portrush moorfield carnoustie tpc sawgrass pga national he was actually second for average strokes gain per round right behind scotty scheffler so hmm. in terms of the numbers i understand why there's some people that i respect that really do like morikawa this week yeah, and even as we we start to get up and we start to see some drift on some of these names, you know, Wyndham Clark's an interesting one. I have not, full disclosure, been uh, someone who's placed a bet on Wyndham Clark all year. I I keep feeling like he's peaked and I've missed it, and he still continues to play well. Right. But he's sixty five. That's what to I one. felt like when I was able to hit him on at the Wells Fargo, and I was like, I didn't yeah. dare bet him for the U.S. Open. <laughs> no. and, and is he going to win back to back majors? I say no way, but who knows? He's right. proved me wrong all season. Uh, Bryson's there, who's playing pretty well. Homa, who's not. Sam Burns, sixty six to one. You get Tom Kim at seventy five. Are there any of these guys just shy of a hundred that have your attention? Well, Adam Scott, uh, who, who I actually did bet nice. a couple weeks ago at about 85 to one. And I think he's still at least relatively in that price range. You might be able to find better at a couple, yeah. couple stores. And that was really I felt like I needed a veteran uh, uh, to, to bet Agreed. here. And I felt like he's a guy that, that could do it. Uh, and and I, I just thought, you know, it was a decent price. He's not playing bad golf, but he's just yeah. not winning. Right. And, you know, it's been consistent. But. Adam Scott, I think, is somebody to certainly look at. I think Bobby Mack is going to be popular based on last week. And I know it's not that he's not going to be motivated for a major, but he had that Scottish Open one, and that was his home open. And he had that bad boy one, and Rory hits that, nails that two iron on 18, two absolutely great shots. That McIntyre shot might have been one of the shots of the year on any tour. In, in the world of golf on 18 and it still wasn't enough. So I wonder if there's a little bit of hangover for this week. Uh, uh, same perhaps with, with, with Tom Kim as well, Justin Thomas, I, I need to see a little bit more. He's been too inconsistent yeah. for me. I'm not necessarily going to fade him because I think he pops in a couple stats this week, but he might be a stay away because usually when a great player like that drifts this high, you're so tempted to take him. I know a lot of people were tempted with the fifties at the U S open. And it was a reason why he was 50 to one. So, you know, is his price probably too high based on the caliber of player he is? Yeah, but still not enough for me to get involved. Yeah, for me, I'm on Adam Scott as well. Um, if you think the conditions are going to be soft this week and early indications from some of the player comments that I've seen would indicate that, although I think they can firm it up pretty quick. And if we don't get a lot of rain, I think that's the intention of the superintendent. But mm -hmm. his driving distance is a factor. There are only four players in this field who are averaging 310 yards off the tee. It's Rory. It's Cameron Young. It's Wyndham Clark. 
and it's old man Adam Scott right. still getting it out there. And he puts it better than the, all four of those guys. Statistically, he's averaging plus three strokes putting uh, in eight of his last nine starts. Now, I think the floor is low for Adam Scott, and would, he'll miss some cuts, and he'll have some bad performances. But three top tens in his last seven events. He's playing in his 14th Open Championship, so he's got a ton of experience. He understands the conditions, mm -hmm. and he finished fifth in 2014 at this event. The other interesting one for me, which I took a flyer on, is Taylor Gooch. Um Three wins since April. He, what is he won? Right. Like, what is that? Like $15 million this summer? Taylor mm -hmm. Gooch is one, but he's leading the lift tour in scrambling. He's up at the top in putting and driving accuracy. He refused to qualify and try to qualify for the U.S. Open. So we didn't see him there. But Adelaide and Valderrama, two golf courses that, as I've done a good bit of live research and kept tabs on it this year, that I said going into those events, these aren't driver-heavy courses. If you can hit an iron off the tee and get it in play and really rely on your approach play, you're going to have success there. He won both of those events. Um, he's just in really good form. I know that a handful of live guys stayed after London overseas there and have been playing up some of the Lynx course, and he's one of those guys. I got a 90 to one today, and it feels like a pretty good, pretty good digits for a guy I think he's who's a in great good form. placement market bet uh, this <laughs> week. And that's somebody you could certainly attack if you don't want to bet the outright. You know, typically yeah. in the placement markets where most often I'm going to live is like the top 20s yeah. and, and the top 30s and 40s and the like uh, that are, you know, if they're available to you. But I, I think Gooch is probably one of those guys that. Yeah, he probably has a little bit of something to prove too, because he has won three times, like you mentioned. And is he really even being considered for the Ryder Cup team? We know Brooks has already clinched mm -hmm. his spots, and and Zach, I think, would take him anyway, even if he hasn't. But uh, you know, Gooch, I think it's kind of like he's got to prove it. I think at a really big event on the biggest stage, and this is the biggest stage you can probably get right now. You're right. It's a good placement spot. Now, some of these guys, 100 to 1 in these triple digit long shot bombs, we're not expecting to win this tournament, but you mentioned you can get access to them in a top 20 or a top 40 market. Is there anyone down here that may be a little bit overlooked that you've got your eye on? I know he's not in great form, and I know he can kind of tease you a little bit when he puts together good finishes, and then all of a sudden you back him and he misses the cut or he pulls out with injury or he gets vertigo like he did at the match play when it looked <laughs> like he was going to beat Scotty Scheffler at the time. And you know where I'm going. And that's Jason day, who I think ar around the greens, he will be absolutely outstanding. He's, you know, driving the ball. I think pretty solidly the irons certainly can be a little bit better. That's always kind of maybe the weak spot of his game, but six for strokes gained around the green weighted over the last 36 rounds. Uh, very good outside the bunker. Very good around the greens and putting on these slower greens as well, because these are going to roll 10 on the stint meter. So you're getting really slow greens here. A very good approach putter, too. So he's a very good lag putter. So I looked at Day. He's also number two in strokes gained par five, 600 to 650, right behind John Rahm. So Jason Day, I think, I just thought that he drifted too high at over 100 to one at a couple stores. And I know the form has not. You know, it's certainly not what it was earlier in the season where it looked, you know, where he eventually did get that win at the Byron Nelson, albeit on a, on a, on a very easy course down there in Dallas. But Jason Day, I think, you know, he is back to playing at least some decent golf, uh, even though you look at the three missed cuts and then the 45th uh, 
uh, a couple a, few, a couple weeks ago at the at the uh, Travelers up in Hartford. But I don't think he's too far removed, even though he's got some missed cuts ever since that Byron Nelson. Yeah, absolutely. I like that call. The guy for me in full disclosure again is is kind of always a guy for me i'm on this team but denny mccarthy if you're going to take it in top 20 or top 40 market has mm-hmm. been printing you money all season oh, he's absolutely. done top 20 <laughs> i've been benefiting thank you denny yeah four straight events and and these are not only just the john deere he did it at muirfield he did it at lacc he did it at the travelers he did it at you know tory pines he did he's doing it all over the place and he's kind of morphed himself into just not a guy that you can be willing to play on a specific course fit he's just a really good player i mean he was the favorite at the john deere two weeks ago and like him and Cameron Young, and he's he's double the price of Cameron Young this week. Now, he's hitting an above-average amount of fairways right now and an above-average amount of greens in terms of his baseline through his career. I do My two concerns with maybe an outright ticket are, is his prowess with the putter somewhat mitigated here because of these slower, big, mm-hmm. flat greens? I would like to see a really tough test. I think that sort of accelerates his advantage there. And the other thing is basically zero, zero links golf experience he's never played an open championship he doesn't ever really play at any events on the european tour uh, but such good form that he's tough to ignore if you want to get like a top 30 or a top 20 on him as he's just I been a great player all season too because that you know a, a lot of things that will mean something to these guys once we get to sunday if they're not in contention but all of a sudden you see when they scroll to that second page of the leaderboard where they got to get into a certain place to qualify for next year's open <laughs> That's where I, I could see Denny McCarthy on Sunday where he's like kind of on the periphery of the top 10 or like the top 12 or top 14. Uh, the, you know, the Lynx experience is what kind of keeps me away, at least from an outright. But I think from a from because we're going to get a couple guys that you don't expect that are in that top 10 to 20. I think from a placement market perspective, that's the way to go for Denny. What are you thinking before I get you out of here in terms of like a mark for winning score? Do you have something in mind? Do you think it plays more minus eight, minus 10, or are we going to get to 20 under par? I do, but I'm always horrible at this, Joe, because I thought like six under was going to win the U.S. Open. And then they shoot eight under the (laughs) co-leaders, Ricky and Xander on, on you know, even though it kind of came back to earth a little bit on the weekend. But it's going to depend on if the wind blows. I'm thinking, I don't think it's going to be as easy as it was maybe when tiger won in 06 and then when rory won in 2014 so i am thinking you are probably looking at mm, maybe 14 i'm gonna go with 14 uh, i don't i don't think we're gonna get to the 20s but i don't know if we're gonna get in a single digit. it's gonna depend on the win so i'm gonna ballpark it in the middle and go 14 under yeah er- excited for early morning coffee golf god willing this week mm-hmm. we will get one day of a little bit of wind carnage and they won't do something crazy like move the tea times up five yeah. hours and not show yeah it on yeah TV. i think by the way they are gonna show even <laughs> even though you may have to deal with paul azinger for those that oh, don't boy. like paul azinger out there in the booth yeah that's a price to pay though for getting actual live golf because that was <laughs> that was really disappointing this weekend and not have live golf on the golf channel for the Scottish open. I know the TV contracts dictate everything, but I mean, that's twice now this summer, Ricky Fowler getting back in the winter circle for the first time in five years. We don't get that live. You get that on tape delay. And then probably the most exciting finish of the year, McIntyre stiffs it with a three wood to like three feet makes a birdie. And then Rory with a two iron to 10 feet makes the birdie to win two of the most exciting tournaments of the year. And you don't get to see it live. 
And this is the time for golf, right? The late dog days of summer mm-hmm. when there ain't much else going on. You've really got to put your your sport into a showcase. Um, and I think we'll get that this week, and hopefully we'll see it. I know you got to get upstairs, Wes, and record for your show. It was an honor to have you on. I think that you were fantastic. You're a true professional. Tell everyone sort of where they can find uh, some more of your content regarding the Open Championship. Yeah, you can get me on the tweets at Wes Reynolds, R-E-Y-N-O-L-D-S, and then the number one at the end of that. So Wes Reynolds won. Beeson.com on Tuesday, we will have the Open Championship. We'll probably even have a little bit of Barracuda, considering the alternate event was good to us last week at the Barbasol. Thank you, Vincent Norman. But so we'll probably, maybe the Barracuda will be up on Wednesday. But also, Long Shots will be airing live on Beeson, 2 Eastern, 11 Pacific, and also on the DraftKings Network. And then, of course, Beeson tonight, Monday through Friday, 9 to 12 Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific. Awesome, man. Pleasure having you on. Good luck this week. You bet, Joe. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. All right. Talk soon. You bet. All right, guys. Awesome to talk to Wes. Um, I am just generally extremely grateful and appreciative of those of you for checking out the show. Another year of major content now in the books. Uh, Sincere thank you to anyone who has supported the show over the years, and particularly this year. It's been kind of um, one of those years where I kind of either have to go all in or consider my options, and I really kind of dug my feet in the ground at the expense sometimes of my wife and my family on Monday nights and putting them to bed. Um, There are a lot of important things that this has kept me from, but it's important to me. It's something that I'm passionate about. It's something that I love doing and they fully support me in it as well as your support has absolutely kept me going. It's been the best year that I've had so far of preferred lines. I wanted to make sure to shout out. You see scrolling across the bottom, the contest again, I'm going to pick someone who has been in the live stream tonight to send a merch pack to. I will be in contact with you shortly in terms of the $200 giveaway. I want to give people the opportunities who weren't able able to view the show live to go back and visit it on YouTube throughout the rest of the week to be able to post a comment make sure that you leave your handle make sure that you leave any sort of content and of course make sure you're subscribed to the channel and you will be entered into that drawing I'm going to pick two winners I'm going to send you each 100 bucks through Venmo Zelle or PayPal you guys are the absolute best. I hope that you enjoyed the program this week. Um as Waylon said hit that like button Thank you, Brian. You guys are awesome. Uh, best of luck this week. We'll be, we will be right back at it next week. I'm Joe Idoni. This has been another episode of the Preferred Lines podcast. I hope that you all hit a winner this week. I think it's Brooks week. It's yet to be seen. Peace, love. Thank you for checking out Preferred Lines. I'm out of here.